copy of the Word of God and open with us to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 22 and verse 23. 1 Peter chapter 2. You know, this happened about three weeks ago. New York Mets baseball player, Kevin Pillar, he got beamed in the face with a 94-mile-per-hour fastball right in the face and he got up praise the lord he's recovered and about three weeks later uh, here is the same kevin pilar standing at bat holding a bat you can still see the injury visible on his face and the narrative around social media is being man he's standing there holding his own bloodied bat you see the blood on the bat or what looks like blood well he came out later and he said man i appreciate all the words of, about my toughness and all but that's not blood that's pine tar that's not that's not my block that's not my blood on the bat but hey either way man you talk about rub, rub some dirt on it and get back out there how about that huh what, a, what an example that is of tuss, toughness for any and all baseball players young and old and in whatever arena you're in uh, work school home the ball field wherever we have examples that we look up to right we have somebody that's setting an example somebody we look to and the church is no different. Church, we're no different. And Peter here in 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 22 and 23, he gives us our example. In fact, in verse 21, he said, Christ who suffered, leaving us an example. And so what we're going to do today, we're going to examine our example. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to, I'm going to throw out some conclusions. I've got four conclusions I'm going to throw at you. And when we share each one of them, I'm going to tell you how we arrived at that conclusion. So I'm going to give you the conclusion first and then tell you how we got there. But the first thing we're going to do, we're going to read this text here in 1 Peter chapter 2, two verses, verse 22 and 23. So let's, let's look at this together. If you have your place there in 1 Peter 2, 22, say word up. up. All right, if you don't, it's on the screen. So here we go. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Uh, Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We pray that we will hear it, that we will receive your word. God, we would respond to your word. Grant us the gift of repentance today. We ask it in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Four conclusions. Here's the first one I want to throw at you as we read this text. But before I do that, I want to give you the takeaway, the sermon in a sentence, and it reads this way. Jesus did no sinning, none, zilch, zero, but he died for all sin. He himself sinned not, but he died for all sin. So with, with that idea in mind here from 1 Peter 2, 23 there's at least four conclusions. Uh, here's the first one. The first one is, he, that is Jesus, he had no reason to repent. 
He had no reason to repent. Because he had no sin, he had no reason to repent. VBS was just, man, it was, so, it was fire this week here. I mean, it was awesome. Thank you for volunteering. Thank you for being here. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for pouring into these children. We had several decisions for Christ on our family night. Even had some baptisms that night. Got more baptisms lined up to come. So thank you for your work uh, for VBS. You know, one of the things we do at VBS, which I get real excited about, is a missions offering. So we have a boys bucket and a girls bucket. And they kind of in a competition, girls and boys. And if the girls win, then Greg House had to be made in a human ice cream sundae. Just ice cream poured all over him. If the boys won, then Miss Lisa had to have ice cream poured all over her. So uh, the boys won. But I was asked by one of our VBS girls, in fact, I was told by one of our VBS girls, you have to give your money to the girls. I said, well, I'm a boy. I said, yeah, I know you're a boy, but you have to give it to the girls. I said, well, give me a good reason why I need to give it to the girls. She said, well, if you don't give your money to the girls this year, I'll see to it that you're the one ice cream next year. I said, well, that's... That's a pretty good convincing reason, isn't it? When you look in the Scripture, in all the New Testament, there's not one even suggestion, not even a hint, not even in the Old Testament, do we contain any reasons at all, not even any little suggestions that Jesus ever sinned. He is the perfect Lamb of God, without blemish, spotless, sinless, without sin. The Holy Spirit, through Peter here, says it this way. He committed no sin. The word committed is translated most as do, or in the past tense, did. He did no sin. In all Jesus' doings, he did not sin. He didn't practice sin. He didn't perform sin. He didn't produce sin. He committed no sin. In all that he did... He never sinned, not one time. And I love God's Word because God's Word tells you the truth. Do you know that? I pray and hope you love the Word of God. And by the way, if you're going to walk in the Spirit, church, you got to walk in the Scripture. If you're not walking in the Scripture, you're not walking in the Spirit. I don't care how many tongues you speak. I don't care how much uh, you, you, you think you know or don't know or your experience or what, how you feel. It doesn't matter. If you're not walking through the Scripture, you're not walking in the Spirit. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said it like this. I love this. Scripture is the royal chariot in which Jesus rides. Yes, he does. I can take you to all kinds of Scripture. In fact, I'll take you to 2 Corinthians 5.21. And the Bible tells us that God the Father made God the Son to be sin who knew no sin. He knew no sin. I can take you to Hebrews where it says we don't have a great high priest that is unable to sympathize with us and our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect was tempted as we are yet without sin. I can take you to John and show you where John writes, Jesus, he came to, he appeared to take away sin, though in him there was no sin. Over and over and over again, we are told Jesus didn't sin. How about the thieves on the cross? There were two of them on either side of Jesus. One of them was railing at Jesus, saying, save yourself and us if you're the Christ. The other thief looked at that unrepentant thief and said, Man, do you not fear God since we're under the same condemnation? For we're getting 
what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. That's a professional wrongdoer saying that Jesus has done nothing wrong. And then how about Pontius Pilate? I mean, Pilate for a living, his job was to find guilt in people. He was a professional guilt finder. Some of you are pretty good at that yourself, aren't you? Professional guilt finder. Yet Pilate looked at Jesus and said, In him I find no guilt. None. And we can do this all day. Point is, Jesus committed no sin. Think about that. God's word testifies to that. A professional guilt finder testifies to that. A professional wrongdoer testifies to that. That Jesus is without sin. There's no sin in him. He has done nothing deserving of death, says Pontius Pilate. Nothing without sin. George Lucas, Star Wars creator, he hired Harrison Ford initially as a carpenter. He hired him as a carpenter to build the casting offices where they were going to audition everybody to be cast in Star Wars. Ended up, Harrison Ford took the role of Han Solo, and that was probably a pretty good decision, was it not? One of the greatest actors of our day, he began as a carpenter. Jesus in John 6 said, I have come down from heaven. And the crowds looked at him and they said, isn't that the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother Mary? Why is he saying he came down from heaven? See, the same hands that helped Joseph, the stonemason, the same hands that touched the untouchable, the same hands that blessed the little children, the same hands that broke bread with his disciples, the same hands that multiplied the fishes and the loaves, the same hands that washed his disciples' dirty, nasty feet, are the same hands that did not sin, the same hands that the nails of your sin and mine were driven through. Yet he was with out sin he committed no sin and all that he did he did not sin but the Holy Spirit doesn't stop there the Holy Spirit gives us even more he said not only did Jesus not sin in what he did look look at the second part of verse 22 check it out church here we go neither was deceit found in his what Jesus didn't sin in all that he said so in all that he did and all that he said he did not sin Jesus did not sin in all that he said. He did not sin in all that he tweeted. He did not sin in all that he posted. He did not sin in all that he cross-stitched. He did not sin in all that he bumper-stickered. In whatever Jesus put out there, in all that he said, in all that he did, he did not sin. You see, the mouth is how the sin of the heart is most easily expressed. Or through the hands on the keyboard, either way. But through, see, it, what defiles us is not what goes into the mouth that defiles us, as Jesus says. That goes to the stomach and is expelled. It's what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person because it comes from the heart. And because Jesus, no deceit was found in his mouth, we know no deceit was found in his heart. And because there was no deceit found in his heart, we know that anything that he uttered, anything that he said, anything that he did was without sin. Isaiah said it like this in Isaiah 53. He had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. So why is it so important for us to understand that Jesus was without sin? Why is that important? Well, you know, under the old covenant, 
If you wanted to commune with God, if you wanted to be in the presence of God, if you wanted to experience God, you had to go through a priest. You had to. There was a sacrificial system set up. And you had to go to the priest who on behalf of you to God would make a sacrifice. And that sacrifice would be perfect without blemish. Well, Jesus came as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He came as the perfect Passover Lamb. He came as the one that was without spot and without blemish. Totally and utterly and completely without sin. To accomplish two important things for you and for me. First of all, Jesus is the one who satisfied the wrath of God against sin. There had to be a perfect sacrifice to satisfy God's wrath against sin. And Jesus was it. Secondly, not only did he satisfy God's wrath, he justifies sinners before a holy God. And so it's paramount that Jesus is sinless and praise God he is. See, see church, here's, here, here's what we need to understand. We don't have all the answers. I know you think you have all the answers, but you don't, right? I don't either. I meet with people week in and week out, and, and, and when, when, when I'm counseling them or talking with them, I, one of the answers I give more often than any is, I don't know. I don't know why God did this. I don't know why God did that. I don't know why God didn't do this. I don't know why God didn't do that. I don't know. We don't have all the answers. But church, we have the answer. And his name is Jesus. He is the answer. He is the one. Think about it. Jesus identified with us. He identified. He was human enough to identify with us. But also, he, he is God enough to do something about it. Here's what it means that Jesus is without sin. Here's what it means. This is what it means for you and for me. That Jesus did not sin. That he has no reason to repent. Here's what it means. You and I will never be good enough. We will never be good enough. Never. But God is always God enough. Always. He's always holy enough. He's always God enough. So the first conclusion is he had no reason to repent. Here's the second conclusion we can deduce from these two verses is Jesus had every right to retaliate. He had every right to retaliate. You know, I just learned this week, it, it's crazy, I didn't know this before. I, I learned this this week, I learned this. That France, the country of France, that they, they use the guillotine. You know, you know what a guillotine is? The execution device with, with a sharp blade that drop, falls straight down and severs heads, you know, the guillotine. I, I didn't know this, but France used the guillotine for executions until 1977. I was three years old. So in my lifetime, a guillotine was used in an execution. That's crazy. When I think of a guillotine, I think of like the 14th century. Not 1977. Wow. And when you read Philippians chapter 2, and you begin to read where Paul is talking about the humility of Christ, and that the Lord Jesus was obedient to death, there's a comma, and it says, even death on a what, church? Cross. Wow. 
for Jesus to suffer like that on that Roman instrument of execution. Wow. I bet Paul was beside himself thinking, you mean my Lord died, was obedient to that even death on a cross? And here's what he tells us here, Peter does in in this 23rd verse. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. In other words, Jesus did not retaliate. In other words, Jesus didn't lose his temper. Oh, if Jesus had lost his temper, we'd all be doomed to go straight to hell. But praise God, he didn't lose his temper. He didn't misuse his tongue. He was reviled, yet he did not revile in return. He was railed at, insulted, abused, scoffed at. He was attacked. He was spoken evil of. He was cursed, yet he did not abuse. He did not attack. He did not chide. He did not demean. He did not insult. He did not humiliate. He did not slap the ones who slapped him. He refrained. He chose not to retaliate. He did not revile in return. And when he suffered, it says in verse 23, he did not threaten. He didn't retaliate. And Jesus talked about this in Matthew 5. He taught on this issue of retaliation. And here's his teaching on retaliation. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go to one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So here's Jesus teaching this. He's talking that, but is this walk going to match his talk we go to the cross and we see it does he chose not to retaliate he made a decision rather than retaliate he'd redeem rather than forget about us he forgave us rather than forsake us he was forsaken for us rather than stepping off the cross he stayed on it rather than saving himself he chose to save you and save me Yet he had every reason, every right to retaliate and chose not to. So here's the third conclusion as we consider these two verses. Number three is this. We have every reason to repent. (laughs) Jesus had no reason to repent, but church, we have every reason to repent. Every reason to repent. I know it's hard. (laughs) I know it's hard to hear God's voice when you've already decided what you want him to say. (laughs) That's hard, isn't it? Well, God, this is what I want you to say. This is what I expect you to say, God. And it's hard to hear his voice when it's something different than what you prefer. That's difficult. We want God to justify our excuses. Right? And that's nothing. Excuses are not anything new. Y'all know this. Adam and Eve... Made excuses when they disobeyed God. Both of them did. They played the blame game. Both of them did. We know that, that Moses, he, he offered excuses for not wanting to go to Egypt. And Lot offered excuses for wanting to stay in Sodom. And the ten spies offered excuses for not entering the promised land. And Israel offered excuses for wanting a king. And when they got that king, that very king, Saul, made excuses for assuming the priestly duties. And Aaron made excuses for constructing a golden calf. And Elijah made excuses for hiding in the cave. And Felix made excuses for not accepting Christ as his Savior. And on and on we go. 
Excuses are nothing new. But we want God to justify our excuses. That applies to everybody else, not me. We want him to justify it. But here we learn that we have every reason to repent. And, and, and I want to show you something in these two verses. Notice the pronouns. Look at the pronoun he in the first part of verse 22. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. We don't have the liberty of, of putting a different pronoun there. You know, I know there's a push today for preferred pronouns. That moms and dads should not, when their child is born, they shouldn't call him a he or she a she. They should wait and let the baby pick their own preferred pronoun. I know that's a push from our culture today. But we don't have that liberty, church. I would prefer a different pronoun be here in the flesh. In my flesh, I would prefer he be replaced with we. Not he committed no sin, but we committed no sin. Therefore, if we commit no sin, we don't need to repent, right? And there's no punishment for that. But we don't have the privilege of changing the pronouns and preferring this over the other. The Bible is clear. He is not we, and we is not he. He committed no sin. He is the one who lived a sinless, spotless perfect life you and I have not and if you replace he here with we or me it sends every one of us to hell because there is no way out all of us all of us he said pastor how do you know that I need to repent you can't see my heart no I can't see your heart but I can see and hear what you say and what you do right we can see that among each other you know, it's, if somebody were coming to your house today, and you knew about it, you knew they were coming, you would probably try to pick up the dirty laundry, right? You'd try, probably hide the dirty clothes under the couch or under the bed, throw it in the closet, right? throw it in the washroom, put it in the hamper. Right? You'd try to do something with the dirty clothes. But we get on social media, and we just throw our dirty laundry everywhere. It's fascinating to me. We just put it out there. We don't care who sees it. Dirty laundry doesn't belong on social media. It belongs in the hamper. And so how do we know we need to repent? Because remember, the mouth, what we say, what we text, what we post, what we email, what we t- all that stuff comes from the heart, from, from, the, from the epicenter of wickedness. Our hearts are desperately wicked. From there comes everything you see out here. So that's why I know we all need to repent. That's how I know that. It's not rocket science. (laughs) We have every reason to repent. Isaiah said it like this. Listen to how Isaiah the prophet said. He said, I am a man. He says, I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean what? Lips. Why did he say unclean lips? Because his heart was wicked. That's why. Why did he say I live among a people of unclean lips? Because our hearts are wicked. That's why. That's why. Church, we're being fooled and we're fooling ourselves. And we do it with uh, putting on the I've got it all together outfit, right? And and we're fooling one another. We're being fooled by our capacity and our capability and our chemistry and our charisma and our charm and 
all at the sacrifice of character. Character is what matters more than any of those other things. Character matters most. When a saved, when a lost person acts lost, we expect it. But when a saved person acts lost, he or she need to repent. They need to turn from that sin. You know, we have a Chuck Norris level sin problem. But praise God, we got a Bruce Lee level grace solution in Jesus. Praise God for that. His grace is way more than enough. So here's what we need to know. This world is not right. It's never going to be right. It's not right. You and I are not innocent. God is not indifferent. If God was indifferent and he just sweeps sin under the rug, if he just turned the other eye to sin, don't you imagine he would have not put his son Jesus through what he went through? Don't you imagine? God is not indifferent about our sin. We are not innocent. Praise God, this life is not ultimate. I think we have the gospel a little bit confused. The good news is not that God the Father will accept you just as you are. That is not the gospel. God the Father is not going to accept you just as you are. He's absolutely not. Now, God the Son will accept you just as you are. You come just as you are to God the Son. But you can't get to God the Father until you go through God the Son. So the gospel is God the Father accepts you not as you are, but as Christ is. It's all about Jesus. Every bit of it is about Him. So we have every reason to repent. Last conclusion. We have no right to retaliate. I know we're ready to fight, and we want to fight, and we want to push back, and we want to... And yes, we give a reason for the hope that is within us. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, we fight the good fight of faith. Yes, yes, yes. We fight for our family. Yes, we contend for the faith. Yes. But we have no right to retaliate. We have no, Jesus had every right to retaliate. We have zero right to retaliate. I, I appreciate the... Uh, I mean, I, I really do. I'm not, I really appreciate the 12-team playoff proposed by college football. I mean, I appreciate that. Uh, the, the, there's been a proposition made to go from a four-team playoff to 12-team playoff, and that's great. Sounds like it might even be kind of fun, but do we really need more games to determine, to tell us that Alabama's going to win it all anyway? <laughs> I mean, do we? Saban just signed through 2028. They're the national champions through 2028 at least. We don't need more games to tell us that. But, oh, my team has a right to play. No, no, your team does not. Your team does. I wish the Southern Miss Golden Eagles had, had the right to play in the national championship or in the playoff. They don't. They're not even close. Just because you have a team doesn't mean they have a right to be there. And just because we are mistreated and we suffer church doesn't mean we have a right to retaliate. In fact, the church does not have any right to retaliate. In fact, here's how the Holy Spirit tells in 1 Peter 3 verse 9. Here's, here it is. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now listen, I'm not an Alabama fan. 
I think it has to be the most boring thing in the world to be in Alabama. You just win all the time. It's got to be boring. I'm not that fan. But I understand who's at the top and who's not. Jesus is on the throne. We are not. He is the one who judges justly. We do not. We don't have a right to retaliate. Listen, Jesus does not need America. America needs Jesus. The Southern Baptist Convention does not, or Jesus doesn't need the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist Convention needs Jesus. Jesus doesn't need this church. This church needs Jesus. We don't have a right to retaliate. That's not our right. I want you to, to think about this statement that is made at the end of verse 23. Because you think, well, what are we to do when we're mistreated? And what are we to do when we suffer? And what are we to do when our rights are threatened? And what are we to do when our liberty... Here, look, look, look at this. Look at verse 23. Look at the end of it. Look what it says. But continued. Not just one time. Jesus continued. I mean, a continuous action. He continued. Look what it says. Entrusting himself. To him who judges justly. This is our example. How do you know that? Look at verse 21. Uh, for Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. <laughs> What's the example? Entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. Entrust ourselves to God Almighty. Entrust ourselves. Let me tell you how this works. Corey Ten Boom said it like this. This is what she said. When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't, <laughs> you don't throw away the ticket and jump off the train. No, you, entr- you trust the engineer to get you through the dark tunnel, right? So you're going through the valley of the shadow of death. You trust God. You're going through this time of suffering or mistreatment or persecution. You trust God. You entrust yourselves to Him who judges justly. Corrie Boom also said this. She said in her prayer life she'd be praying, and she would turn to a specific place in the Word of God if she was wrestling with with the promise of God she'd go to that promise in the word of God where it was precisely stated and she would hold up her Bible and she'd say here here God you made this promise it's right here read it yourself well what is she doing she's entrusting herself to God and to his word that's what Jesus that's the example he left for us But we want to retaliate, and we want to fight. And I get that. That's in us. And we want to push back like that. But let me remind us that the church survived the Roman Empire. Didn't she? (laughs) Yeah. Remember, the Emperor Nero is, is the one who persecuted and ultimately had Peter executed when he's writing this. And yet the church survived the Roman Empire. The church survived Hitler. Didn't she? The church survived world wars. The church survived the Middle Ages, Dark dark Ages, medieval times. The church thrived and survived COVID. The church, I think, is going to be okay. I think. But we want to push back. And and here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, 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 don't you understand? I was raised from the dead. I was raised from the dead. In John 12, it's really fascinating that here's how 
Here's how messed up the enemy is and those that would come against the church and come against us. Here's, here's, here's their, how their thinking is just so futile. I mean, their effort is so futile. I was reading John 12 the other day. It just jumped off the page at me. It says the Pharisees and the chief priests uh, were plotting to kill Lazarus. Plotting to kill Lazarus. Plotting to put to death Lazarus. The one who Jesus raised from the dead. Doesn't that seem kind of pointless? A titanic waste of time? The one Jesus raised from the dead, you're going to try to put him to death? I don't think that's going to work. It's futile. Jesus has defeated death. He's defeated the worst thing that can happen to any of us. And so here's three things that a friend of mine texted me this this week. What, What things God can't do and one is he can't sin. We understand that. He's without sin. Second one is God is the same yesterday and day and forever. He can't change who he is. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the third one is he will not allow sinners into heaven. He can't allow. He can't allow anything impure or unclean to ever enter it. That's why Christ, the sinless one, came from heaven to make, to be the way that you and I can go to heaven. Right? What a glorious, glorious Savior. So I want to ask you to stand with us. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer and ask two questions. I'm going to ask you two questions. The first question is this. Whose example are you following? Jesus left us an example. Are you following him? Whose example are you following? Are you following Jesus? Are you entrusting yourself to him? Well, here's the issue with that. You can't entrust yourself to God the Father unless you first trust in God the Son. Okay? You can't entrust yourself to him if you've not trusted in him. So that's the first step you need to take. Some of you worshiping online or in person may say, you know what, I've never put my trust personally in Jesus as my Savior. We saw some families do that at VBS Family Night. We'd love for your family to be a part of placing your trust and faith in Christ alone. And you can do that knowing that He alone can forgive sin because He's the only one who is without sin. So with your head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you today, I want to just tell you it's time for you to put your trust in Jesus alone. Father, I thank you for these men and women, boys and girls who are worshiping with us in person and online. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would pierce the hearts of those that would say, I've never put my personal faith and trust in Jesus alone. I never have. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would help them to understand that they are a sinner in need of Jesus. So, friend, if that's you today, all all you have to do is believe this good news in your heart that Jesus died in your place on the cross, was buried and raised to life. And if you'll call on the name of Jesus, you'll be saved today. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, I want to challenge you right now to pray something simple, believing in your heart. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know Jesus came to save me from my sin. Today, I put my trust in Him alone. Come into my life. Forgive me and save me. In Jesus' name. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, we believe you have been born again. 
believing in your heart that truth of the gospel. And we want to hear from you. So text us whether you're in the room or not. Text the name Jesus to 79969 so we can have a conversation with you. If you're in the room, we'll give you an opportunity to come forward here in a moment. So that's the first question. Who are you following? What example are you following? Are you following Jesus? And if you can say yes to that, here's the second question. Second question is, what example are you leaving? What example are you leaving? Because somebody's looking up to you. Somebody's watching you. So what example are you leaving as you follow Christ? God, I pray for every person in this place and worshiping online that would say, yes, I already know Christ as my Savior and I have been born again. I'm a part of the family of God. I've been adopted into the family and I'm a part of the church. I I pray right now that Holy Spirit, you would reveal to them the example they're leaving for their kids, for their neighbors, for their co-workers, for the now generation, for the next generation. What example, Lord, are we leaving? And when we consider that, we'll understand there's a lot of repentance that needs to take place. And Lord, I pray you'll take over in this time of invitation as we sing. I pray these steps will be full of your people coming to repent of not leaving the right example, of not setting the right example. And God, we would respond to you.